0: Remember, our mission as a church is to know God and make Him known. And so in doing that, we are going to begin a new series, and we'll see how long it takes. But I've got it mapped out, and it could take us all the way to Labor Day weekend. We'll just see. And you might go, wow, that's a long time. And I'm going to say, yes, so much good stuff in this new book we're going to be reading. The book of Colossians, the letter of Paul to the church in Colossae. So, if you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up to the letter of Paul to the Colossian church. Um, it's in the New Testament, and you will see that it's not huge, but it is meaty and it is rich. And so, you're going to look in, in your New Testament, half of your Bible, and find it's about halfway through the New Testament, the letter to Paul to the Colossian church. It's right after Philippians and Ephesians, and and so. Colossians is just this amazing letter to a church that was living in a culture that was divided and distracted. It was described by Paul actually as uh, the domain of darkness that these folks had been living in. And, and so this whole series is called The Kingdom of the Sun. And if you have your Bible open, you can look with me and see... Chapter 1, verse 13, it won't be up on the screen, but the reason we're calling this series Kingdom of the Son is because Paul is talking to the church here, the Colossian church, and he says to them, chapter 1, verse, t- verse 13, he, talking about the Father, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, and so Paul is telling the, the Colossian church and all believers who would read this letter, this inspired scripture, that we, in, in, in becoming Christians and placing our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that the Father has moved us, He has picked us up and moved us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. And so the whole letter of Colossians really serves to explain what it looks like to live in the kingdom of the sun, what it looks like to be a believer when you are surrounded by the domain of darkness. And, and most of us, we, we can acknowledge the fact that we live in a culture, we live in a world that is against God, that is against Christ and his, his kingdom. And so how do we live like this? The whole book of Colossians will give us some beautiful understanding about both the kingdom And Our king and so i'm excited for this series and I want to encourage you to be here as often as you can and when you can't be here to join in online and keep up with This series on the kingdom of the sun about about a third of the way through We're going to take a a few weeks and actually talk about the domain of darkness And the the philosophies of the domain of darkness around us and how they don't sync up with scripture and the struggles that we might have as believers. So there's just going to be a lot of meat to this. So I encourage you to, to stay engaged. But we're going to start with understanding this letter. To whom it was originally written. And who wrote it. Now the reason we do that is because we practice in, in our church. And, and in most solid biblical orthodox churches. They practice uh, what's called a good hermeneutic. And you might think Herman. We're not talking like Pee Wee Herman. No, we're talking we're talking about a practice of reading Scripture properly, and we want to we want to read Scripture in its proper historical and grammatical context. In other words, is what we need to do when we read Scripture is we essentially want to get in a time machine as we're trying to understand, and we go back to the era it was written in, and the the the, the history that was going on then, and and the culture it was written in. we want to try and understand what the original author was saying to the original recipients so that we might find the spiritual truth in scripture and then we bring it to our own day and age and apply it. And so we will read these verses trying to understand what was originally meant. And so we need to understand the culture. So here's what we can know about the, the city of Colossae. It, it, was, um, it was in Asia Minor, which is Turkey nowadays. And so if you were going to go try and find this city today, you could go to Turkey and you can actually find there are portions of it that have been excavated. But most of it is just a big lump of dirt because, uh, you know, as a city gets neglected, it falls down, it piles up dirt and it just disappears into history. There are a couple of other cities nearby Laodicea, which some of you who have read the book of Revelation, you might remember that name. They're the church that um, they're neither hot nor cold, and God wants to spit them out of his mouth. And then nearby is also another city called Hierapolis. And um, so you, you, you've got churches in both of those cities as well as the church in Colossae. And the nearest church that also received a letter from Paul was the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus, and you can see it's on the coast of Asia Minor, that was actually a a city that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, he spent about two years there starting a church and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And and he actually uh, had a lot of deep connections there. He uh, left behind Timothy to pastor in Ephesus. And eventually the Apostle John, we believe, ended up in Ephesus as pastor. So what we have here is is a, a very unique city, Colossae. Uh, it's in this this Lycus Valley, and it's the, there's a river that flows down through Colossae and the area there. And what's interesting about the river in this area is that it actually disappears underground for a few kilometers and then comes back up again right around where Colossae was, or is in this era as we read the letter. And and Colossae had been a very prominent and wealthy city, but it had declined by the time this letter is written to the church there. Uh, In in the the years prior, it had been right on a major road and had been uh, just a place that, that lots of the Greek... Uh, conquerors in the the late or early B.C.s, I guess, depends on how your perspective is, right? The last couple hundred years B.C. it had really prospered as as conquering armies came through and camped out and and leaders were there, but it had been neglected because the Romans had built a a road further south along the coast, and so it was kind of like, you know, the interstates uh, replaced Route 66, right? And, and so, um, you know, all those, those little cities that were on the, the great American route, they began to die because the interstates passed them by. Well, that's what happened to Colossae, is that the new road that came through under the Roman Empire passed it by, and so it was no longer as prominent as it used to be. Now, what's interesting about this area as well is that it, it had a lot of frequent earthquakes, and that's really what ultimately led to its demise as a city is a major earthquake that wiped much of it out. And it's actually noted that that there was an earthquake about the same time as this letter arrived at the city. Uh, Colossae probably had a a pretty sizable Jewish population. One of the other near cities, Laodicea, had about 11,000 Jews in it. Now, we look and go, 11,000, that's not many. But cities in this era were not cities like In today's day and age. We're not talking millions of people in local cities. We're talking about tens of thousands of people, and that's a city. And so there were likely a number of Jews in this area. And Colossae was known for a number of things, but most prominent in what it was known for was this wool, this dyed wool that they think was purple. And uh, it was really just this, this desired commodity that came from Colossae. There was actually also an angel cult, that practiced and was centered in this city, and uh, Michael the Archangel was the, their their like ultimate deity, and they worshipped Michael the Archangel as the most prominent spiritual being in all the world and then they also worshipped a number of other Greek gods, including Bacchus, if you 're familiar with him uh, he 's the god of wine and partying, so how do you worship the god of wine and partying? Well, you, you get the picture of you know how that should be. You wine and not wine like oh, but you know wine like the purpley grape stuff and party, and uh, so so it was it was really a a very pagan place, and yet there's some Jewish influence and and so what happens is in this city a church springs up, and we we believe it was founded. During Paul's time in Ephesus acts chapter 19 and previous talks about the Apostle Paul on a missionary journey and he goes into the city of Ephesus and he spends a couple of years there and starts a church in Ephesus and as I mentioned it becomes one of the prominent and strongest churches in Asia Minor and while Paul is there people come into Ephesus hear the gospel get saved and then end up going home. And and so we see in Acts 19.10, it says this, this went on for two years, Paul preaching and people coming and hearing the gospel and getting saved. And so two years, this goes on so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord. So what we see is, is that lots of people are traveling into Ephesus because it has become the prominent city of the day in Acts chapter 19. And they're hearing the gospel, and then they're traveling back home. And, and so they hear the this good news of the Lord, and many of them become saved. And some of them go home and start churches. And so we think that this church in Colossae, it was started by a man whose name was Epaphras. And uh, so Epaphras, who will get mentioned later in this letter, probably went to Ephesus, heard Paul preach... And then came back home, began to share the gospel at home, and then a church springs up. Now, it's also possible that Philemon, who has a whole letter book of the Bible named after him, um, that the Apostle Paul wrote to him, he might have participated in the founding of the church. Later in its life, he's definitely a leader in the church. So we've got this church that springs up. And it's under the influence of Paul, but from a distance, because they've never met the Apostle Paul. They don't know him from Adam, other than they know of his reputation. And they know that Epaphras, the founder of their church, if you will, got saved under the ministry of Paul. And it is Epaphras who goes to Paul, and and it's his going to the Apostle that actually precipitates this letter. So this letter to the Church of Colossae it's written during paul's first Roman imprisonment. So this is kind of you know church nerd stuff, I get it, but but it's, this is happening at the end of the, the the book of Acts, and the apostle Paul has traveled to Rome he's appealed uh, to to the Emperor of Rome uh, in order to to deal with a, some accusations, and so he's living in Rome under house arrest. And eventually sees the emperor in order to plead his case for some charges he was facing for preaching the gospel. Uh, But he spends a a couple of years in house arrest waiting to see the emperor. And during this time, the Apostle Paul writes a number of the books of the Bible that we have. So we believe he wrote during this time Ephesians, which is just a couple of books before Colossians. He probably wrote Philippians during this time. And then Colossians and likely even Philemon, which follows up a little bit later. And so Paul spends a number of years under house arrest. And while he's there, church leaders come to visit him. They travel the couple of months it takes to to get to Rome from where they're at. And they say, Paul, we've got some issues here. And so Epaphras likely went to Paul... And describe what was going on in the church. And and so Paul writes this letter to confront falsehood and heresy. Heresy is wrong belief that is so extreme it prevents one from being saved if you believe it. It it, it leads one astray from genuine salvation. And so Paul is writing to to, uh, confront false teachers and heresy. Things that would keep people from being saved if they believed it. And, and this heresy was coming from uh, a groups called uh, Judaizers. And if you've been in church a while and you've studied some of the books of the New Testament, you know that the Judaizers were ones, they were Jews typically, who were trying to take and uh, kind of meld together Judaism and Christianity. And they said that if you were a good Christian you first had to be a good Jew. And to be a good Jew, you had to follow all the rules. You had to follow the the food code. You had to be circumcised if you were a man. You had to live according to the Old Testament standards before you could be a good Christian. And so the Judaizers were teaching Christians that they had to perform good works in order to be saved, which we know is something that's not true. If you have a, a, a memory verse, maybe Ephesians 2, Eight and nine that you remember, you know, that it's we're saved by grace uh, through faith. And this is not out of ourselves, not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, so Paul is confronting these lies that you have to do good works or follow the law in order to be saved. He's also confronting some things that we find in Greek philosophy. What later becomes as it develops a religious system essentially called Gnosticism. And uh, we'll talk more about that here in a few moments. And then, then there is also the mystery religions. And you might go, well, what's a mystery religion? Is that something you open your Cracker Jack and it's inside the little packet, you know? You, you get a new mystery religion? Well, yeah, it's almost that crazy. It's, it's just teachers who start just espousing these, these great fantastical ideas about spirituality. And, and then they get followers. And I'm going to teach you the secrets I'm going to teach you what it means to be a genuine believer, and I'm the only one who knows. Uh, does that sound familiar at all? Uh, this is why I'm, I'm always hesitant. You know, you're on Amazon, and you find a book that says the seven secrets or the seven keys or the, the three special ways uh, regarding faith or Christianity to just kind of back off and study the author a little bit and try and figure it out. Because if somebody's got secrets, they're probably not a Christian uh, because God is very clear about salvation and his nature and how to walk with him in his word. So what is the trouble in Colossae? What's Paul really confronting? And so he's he's got some lies that are being taught that he wants to, to show are not compatible with genuine faith in Christ. So the trouble at Colossae is that there were people who were teaching that matter is evil and that spirit is good. Now, you might go, well, yeah, except that's not the case when we talk about biblical faith. See, they were going to the extreme of saying that everything physical is corrupted by evil and is irredeemable. And that everything that's spiritual, especially when you know the mysteries and you know the truth, can be good and be redeemed. They viewed creation not as God viewed it in Genesis chapter 1. If you remember, every day when God creates, what does he say about his creation? It's good. And when he gets done, do you know what he says about his creation? It's very good. God did not say, the spirit is good, but all the rest of creation, it's just going to serve a purpose someday. No, he looks at everything he created and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And so we know that, that God has always intended us as men and women to be beings that are both spiritual and physical. The physical is not an accident. It is part of God's good plan and creation. In fact, his very good creation. Now, sin has had consequences and has tainted our physicality. And, and we are diminished because of sin in our lives. Um, most of us can look around and we, we, we see things. We see, you know, creaky joints, or we, we know of creaky joints. We, we know of hair loss. We know of, you know, a little bit more extra than we should have, right? All of these things that are the, the consequences of sin in our physicality. But that doesn't mean that our physicality is evil. Now, these false teachers, however, they were teaching that physical and all matter was evil. And, and it actually led to this. Uh, one of two extremes. Either they, they just partied because the body didn't matter and you did whatever you wanted with it because your spirit was good no matter what. Or you denied the body and practiced this, this extreme asceticism or, or um, you know, fasting and you know, wearing, wearing scratchy clothes and, and things like that in order to punish the physical because it could never be redeemed and so you punished it as evil. But this is, this is a lie. We are beings of both spirit and flesh. And this, this lie that they were teaching led them to teach that Jesus did not come in the flesh. That he was not God incarnate. And that he did not actually participate in the material world. This lead, led to a, a doctrine eventually called docetism. That Jesus only appeared to be physically present, but instead he was more like a ghost, more like an apparition that seemed real to people, but was not physically present. And it's because they believed that the body was evil and there's no way that a good God could put on evil flesh and actually participate in the material world. And so they were denying the person or the the manhood of Jesus. They were denying that he came in the flesh they, they maybe acknowledge, were acknowledging that he was God, but they said as God, he could never actually be physical like us and die on a cross physically. He just appeared to do those things. And so it, it really divorced the gospel from its role of redeeming all of creation. And then the, the other lie, the next lies they were teaching, is that, that, that they, to reach God, to be able to know God, You had to have secret knowledge and literal passwords, excuse me, literal passwords in order to to reach new levels of spiritual truth. Any, anybody ever, ever seen this kind of stuff? You, you stay up late enough and watch enough late night Christian television, it starts going this way. It's crazy. It's no longer Christian television, it's pseudo-Christian television, and they're leading you astray and, and teaching falsehoods. There's some sort of secret knowledge, some sort of special thing. If you just send in some money, I'll send you my book, and then you'll have the secret keys to be a more spiritual, to, so God will bless you. And these are not new lies. All the way back in A.D. 60-62, to 62, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae who is struggling with false teachers who are coming in and saying, we've got secrets, but you've got to pay us, follow us, make us special, be like us in order to know these secrets so that you can know God. They, they were... Practicing these ascetic practices, this giving up of things. They were fasting. They were denying marriage. They were celebrating special legalistic holidays. They were going back and making Judaism a critical part of their Christian faith. And not in a sense of appreciating it, which we should all do, but in a sense of you have to be Jewish before you can be Christian. Some of us might know some folks like that. We know some folks who have fallen into uh, the mistaken a belief that you have to be a good Jew and follow all the Jewish rules before Jesus even matters. In fact, you have to pronounce Jesus' name properly in the Hebrew or you're not genuinely saved. Anybody know somebody like that? I do. If you don't say his name Yeshua properly, you don't re- know the real Jesus. You just know a Jesus of white people made up that's a lie. It, this is all craziness. These are the kind of lies that the Apostle Paul is confronting in the church Just 30 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so these are, there's nothing new under the sun, there's no new concepts. And so Paul is really trying to take the church in Colossae and say, I want you to know the truth. I want you to to know what it is to be removed from the kingdom of darkness and and placed in the kingdom of the sun and what your life will look like and what it it means to follow after him and to, to be able to abandon these false teachers and follow the genuine gospel. Of Jesus Christ. So th- that's the background. There's even more to this. There's more meat to this that we might get into eventually. Uh, but, but man, some of, the, some of the heresies that the church has confronted throughout the years, we might sit back and just go, that's nuts. But it has led people astray and there is no new lie under the sun. Every false teacher that pops up traditionally just recycles some old concept. Which is why we can go back to Scripture and find answers for every circumstance and issue in our life as a church. Everything. We can go back to Scripture and find the truth that we need to be able to confront falsehoods and walk rightly in the kingdom of the Son. So once again, if you've got your Bibles, make sure they're open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to just be looking... We're going we're to just blaze through this. We're going to do verses 1 and 2. So, um, verses 1 and 2 today. And this is, this is why it's going to take a while. Because Colossians, in and of itself, is so rich. And then we're going to dive off and, and take a couple of rabbit trails over the course of the next few months in order to address some of the issues that the book raises as well. So, Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. It starts in verse 1 here, and it tells us who wrote this letter and why it is we should be listening to him. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. So it, this is the the uh, the beginning of the letter. This is the, the establishing of who it is that's writing and why we should listen to them. So we, we have it Paul, the apostle. And and those of us who've been in church for a while, we've listened to the preaching and the teaching, we've read those New Testament letters, we've read the book of Acts, we know that Paul played a huge part in the establishing of the early church. And, And we see in his writings the confronting of lies, the clear exposition of the gospel. When we read the book of Romans, we see from the Apostle Paul uh, uh, a treatise that takes us from being pagans all the way to walking as righteous people in 16 chapters. And, and that we get to see the progress of what it means to, to know falsehood, to know sin, to know our need for redemption, and then what redemption looks like lived out. And so Paul plays a critical role in the early church, and his writings play a critical role in our scriptures. And why is that? Well, it's not just because he got real famous because he managed to, you know, catch lightning in a bottle, and he was just the best speaker, or he was the best looking. What's interesting is Scripture actually uh, describes him as as not very good looking at all, and tradition says he was short, round, balding, blind, and kind of ugly. So, some of you, there's hope for God using us, right? We can just go, if God can use Paul, who's short, round, balding, blind, and ugly, he could use even me. Uh, Just, hallelujah. Um, How cool is it that that God can use all sorts of people? So it wasn't because uh, Paul was was smiley or, or had nice hair or the right suits or shining lights and lasers and a great worship band. It was because Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, what's an apostle? Uh, you might might go, well, it's okay, what is an apostle? Well, it simply means someone who is sent with authority. A- another word we could use uh, that would be appropriate in, in some ways would be a word like ambassador. Who is an ambassador? What does an ambassador do? Well, m- most of us are more familiar with that idea than that of an apostle. An, an ambassador is someone who is sent With authority to represent a government. To speak on that government's behalf. Maybe even to do fairly complex and and meaningful business on that government's behalf. And so Paul is an apostle, an ambassador. And as an apostle, he is sent by Christ Jesus to do the work of the kingdom. To represent the king To speak on the king's behalf and do business on the king's behalf. And so when we read Paul, we are reading essentially what we need to understand. Words that represent the mind of Christ. And and we're told that his writings are scripture. The apostle Peter in 1 Peter tells us that Paul's writings are scripture. And and Paul tells us in in 1 Timothy, excuse me. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 that we just looked at, right? That all Scripture is inspired by God or God-breathed and is useful. So Paul, as he writes, he is writing on behalf of God. And he is a, a representative of Christ Jesus. And, and who made him a representative of Christ Jesus? Jesus himself, God the Father, the, the Trinity working through the expression of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see Paul is not an apostle because he walked in the room and went, I'm an apostle. But instead, especially when we read his story in Acts, it's because God chose him to, to represent himself to the Gentile world. And, and we, we, we especially, we look at Paul's his, his salvation experience. He, he was dead set against Christianity. And was going out to persecute. Even to the extent of imprisonment. And maybe even death. Christians. That's what his, his whole hobby and life was. He was like passionate about it. You know when it was time to go persecute Christians. He's like sign me up. He was on the road to go to a different city. In order to persecute believers. And Jesus appears to him. And he says to him, why, why are you fighting me? Why are you kicking against me in this way? It's painful for you, I know. Why are you resisting me? And and in that moment, he's struck blind. Three days later, he ends up in the, the house of a believer and who prays for him. His sight comes back. He trusts Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He gets baptized. And then guess what happens for him? He starts getting persecuted. People start chasing him because he's a believer. And so Paul has this experience not of wanting to represent Jesus, but even as he's saying, I hate you, Jesus. I I want to kill your people. I want to persecute your people. Jesus says, I choose you. I choose you, Paul. Over the course of a number of years, this isn't like it happens a week later, but a, a number of years of discipleship and growth and actually time in the desert studying God's word and Paul becomes the apostle he was meant to be and begins to go out into the world and plant churches, especially amongst the non-Jewish people of Europe and Asia Minor. And so Paul, this representative of Jesus Christ by God's will, and who else is helping write this letter? Well, he says, Timothy, our brother. For those of you who aren't familiar with Timothy, Timothy was one of Paul's traveling companions. Timothy was a young man. He had a Jewish mother and grandmother, a Gentile or Greek father. He he trusts in Jesus as Savior, as a mixed-race young man, and, and and ends up being one of Paul's most faithful traveling companions. He He has to get circumcised so the Jews will accept him, which is not, from my understanding, a fun thing to do as an adult. So, you know... Don't recommend it. Uh, And it's not necessary for salvation, but he did it so that he could be able to reach out to Jews. And and Timothy ends up, uh, we believe, spending time as the pastor in Ephesus later on in church history. And and so Timothy is serving this this prominent role and he's helping Paul to write this letter. And, And when we think about him helping, it could be one of two things. He's in the room and Paul's bouncing ideas off of him. It could be that he's actually writing the letter while Paul dictates it to him. Or it could just be Paul was being nice and said, yeah, Timothy's here too. Now, if Timothy was with Paul, we know that he's hanging out in Rome with Paul while Paul is in prison at this time. So this is who wrote the letter, why we should believe them, why we should trust them. It's Paul, an ambassador from Jesus who represents Jesus, not because he wanted to, but because God chose him. And then his friend, our brother in Christ, Timothy. And they're writing this letter together. And that brings us to verse 2. To the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so he he is now telling us, who is this letter addressed to? Well, it's specifically addressed to those believers who live in this single city and are part of this church. But what's beautiful about all the letters in Scripture is that while they are addressed to and directed towards the issues of specific individuals and churches, they also speak to all of us for all time. And we can apply these same spiritual truths to our lives. But first, got to unpack them in their day and age and in their context, and then bring them into our day and age and try to apply them. So who is this letter? Well, it's written to. Well, it's it's to the saints. So uh, who are the saints? If you think you know who the saints are, raise your hand. There's a couple of you who, and yes, hands up, you are the saints. Uh, and, And what... We might have some, some doctrinal differences with some others and say, well, you, you can't be a saint unless certain things are achieved in your life or, or certain, certain circumstances are met or someone calls you a saint who has the authority to do so. And, and what we need to understand is scripturally, every believer is a saint. And, and when we 're talking about that, we don't mean that you know you're just you 're a nice person or you 're a good person and and we like you, but literally, every believer is a saint. every believer has been set apart by God and has been made holy in god 's eyes, but it 's also true that every saint should be seeking to grow in holiness and so When you see the word saint in scripture, know something. You yourself, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. And saints are set apart. That's really what the idea of holiness and sainthood means. It means that at some point, God came and picked you up and said, this one's mine. And then he went and he comes over here and he sets you apart from everybody else. And this one's mine. This one's special to me. That's what it means to be a saint. You are set apart by God, you were chosen by Him. This should be both exciting and scary for us because no longer do we get to hide in the crowd of the world. But no, you are set apart by God, you are one of His own, you are special, you are a saint. So you should celebrate the fact that you are set apart by God, by His choice. He looks at you and He sees you as holy, as precious, clothed in the very righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. But there's a second truth, that every saint should also seek to set themselves apart in everyday practices. Paul, in, in writing to Timothy, which is exciting, right? These same two guys that this, this letter's from. Paul was writing to Timothy later on in life. In fact, as Paul is in his final imprisonment, facing the death penalty, which he does eventually experience. Writing to his young friend and pastor, Timothy, he says this. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable So if anything, if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Saints are set apart instruments. And yet God's word also tells us on a regular basis, we should be working to set ourselves apart and be different. Not like the dishonorable things of the world. Not like those things that get used for the wrong kind of stuff. But we want to be useful in God's hands. And so we will do the work of setting ourselves apart. Even as we know we are already set apart. It's a both and. It's a You are a saint. You are becoming a saint as you, as you set yourself apart. And ultimately one day you will be a perfected saint. When you see Jesus face to face, every struggle of sin, every brokenness will be removed. You will be made whole and completely redeemed. And you will be the saint that you've always, well, God has always seen you as, but you've always wanted to be. And and you will be complete as a saint. But saints are supposed to be realizing they are set apart and in the process of being set apart. And so we we understand that there is work to do in our own lives, even though we're already part of the kingdom. We we live in God's presence. We we celebrate his very love for us, but there's still work to do in our lives. And and Paul is going to tell this church and us about the work that is still to come. Now, the next little phrase, to the saints in Christ, in Christ, Paul tells this church and all the believers there, your identity, it starts with who you are in Jesus Christ. The way you describe yourself, the way you see yourself is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter as well to the church in Galatia. And they were struggling with some of the similar things that the church in Colossae was struggling with. And he says to them, when you are saved... When you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, every other thing you might have identified yourself as becomes null and void when you are saved. There is no such thing as a hyphenated Christian. A lot of us, you know, we maybe are on that patriotic bent and say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm an American. There's no, there's no Irish American. There's no Italian American. There's no black American. We're all just Americans. Okay, cool. That's a political thing, however you choose. I'm telling you, a spiritual reality is, when you are a Christian and you are in Christ, every other means by which you would describe yourself is gone. You are not a, 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 a woman christian you are not a man christian you are not an american christian you're not a white christian you're not a black christian you are a christian you are in christ every other identity now passes away we are to be one and so when paul writes to this church and he says you're saints in christ he says you're set apart and your whole identity should be in jesus Every way you describe yourself is in Jesus. Now you might be wondering, how do I become part of this in Jesus? How, am I, how do I become part of this in Christ? This oneness, this place where everything else is wiped away and my whole identity is in Jesus Christ. Well, we, we have the, the four diamonds and most of us are familiar with it. But it's, an, it's a way to explain the gospel, right? We see the very top diamond is, is God created us. And God created with us with responsibility to be in relationship with Him and to be obedient to Him. But the tree reminds us that in Adam and Eve, who rebelled in the Garden of Eden and chose their own way to eat the fruit of the, the tree of knowledge and good of evil, even though God had said no, they remind us that everyone has rebelled against God. Everyone has disobeyed God. Everyone has sinned and come short of His glory and deserves death and punishment. Everyone. There is no one good, no not one, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, which is a direct quote from the Psalms. There is none good. We were created for relationship, but we rebelled against God and deserved death and punishment. But God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. And the bottom picture is a picture of the empty tomb. Because Jesus, he, he didn't just die on a cross after being man and God in perfect harmony, God incarnate, living a perfect sinless life. Then he does die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He's buried in a tomb, but on the third day, he rises again. And it proves that everything he says about himself and about us and everything he did leading up to and on that cross, it's all true. And so the empty tomb tells us that the gospel is something we can believe in. That God loves each and every one of us so much that he wants to restore us, to save us from the consequences of our own rebellion. And he did it by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and mine. He rose again on the third day. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. The heart reminds us that every man and woman must make a choice. Everyone must make a choice for themselves. You must either choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to to receive him as your king, and long to step into his kingdom, to be moved by the Father. Or, even in action, saying, well, I'll wait for later, is essentially rejecting him. Rejecting. You, you It's either receive or reject. To receive is to be made new, is to be saved forever, is to be moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. To reject him is to remain in the domain of darkness and experience the full consequences of your sinful rebellion against God when you pass away from this life. And so, Scripture tells us, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, how do we become people who are in Christ? We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, He's my King. He's my my ruler. He's in charge of my life. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that all of His works are true, and all of His teachings are true, and you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. We are in Christ when we make him our Lord and King. So, Colossians 1, 2 again. To the saints in Christ. Now, where do these saints happen to live? Colossae. You see, if he were writing a letter to us today, it would be to the saints in Christ who are in McMurray. That would be such an anticlimactic thing, right? You're in McMurray. Yes. What is McMurray? It's actually just, it's a, it's a small division of a township that uh, serves to separate the mail, more or less. That's actually, when we were coming here, that's, that's what I looked up. It's really anticlimactic. McMurray, Pennsylvania. It, they, they really don't even describe it as very meaningful. It's really just a post office. Welcome. That's, that's, that's us. That's where we're at. But what's exciting is we're saints in Christ, just like these folks These folks, they are faithful brothers and sisters. In other words, faith-filled believers in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. This this grace, we've memorized this verse, right? What is so important about grace? Grace is an unmerited gift. It is something we do not deserve that comes from the hand of a loving God. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works. So that no one can boast. That's why grace is so important. Why is peace so important? Peace is not just the end of war. It is the the, in in Hebrew language, it's shalom. Some of us know that we've we've had enough, uh, you know, uh, Old Testament and Jewish friends kind of stuff going on. Shalom. And what does shalom mean? It doesn't just mean the war is over. It means life is complete. It means a fullness of experience. And so when God talks about giving us peace through Christ Jesus, he's not saying the war will be over in your life, but he says even in the midst of striving and wars and trouble, you will feel full and complete. You will keep in mind, excuse me, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. This is what God says to us through Isaiah. John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. In other words, in the midst of things that should be troubling and fear inducing, you can feel complete. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These two beautiful things, grace and peace, Paul declares over every believer. First, there in the church in Colossae, and then to us as well. We are saints. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. We happen to be where we, excuse me, happen to be where we are, which is a cool thing. It's God's hand, but in that relationship with Him, we experience grace. His unmerited favor and peace, the ability to be complete even in the midst of brokenness and strife. And where does this all come from? It comes from our Father. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is, is a, an endearing word. It, it really just means Father, but it, it's, a, it's a word of endearment, not the formal one. You'd be like, Father, but Father love you. It's a term of endearment. And so we have grace and peace from a Father who loves us and cares for us and welcomes us. So just to wrap it up, to finish out a statement that really kind of sums up these first two verses. Faith-filled saints will know the grace-filled peace of their Heavenly Father. It's interesting that the song earlier about Faith and about peace. It fits perfectly. That's, that's why we can leverage it and say, We know that when we live by faith, us, His saints, we will know His grace and His peace because He's our Heavenly Father. And so, a so couple, couple of questions just to wrap us up. Who are you trusting in today? You see, the church in Colossae. They were beginning to trust in their own way of doing things. They were beginning to trust in teachers that sounded really spiritual, but were rejecting the truth of Scripture. They were beginning to trust in their their own understanding. Who are you trusting in today? What are you trusting in today? Where is your faith placed? Is your faith placed in a pastor? That's foolish. Is your faith placed in in a loved one that you live with? They're going to fail you. Is your faith and your hope placed in some teacher on television? They're probably lying. But i got to tell you, if your faith is in Christ Jesus, you will find a a new identity and you will find grace and peace and you will be called not just special, but you'll be called a saint who is the child of God. Second question for you today, when you realize that you are trusting in Jesus Christ, your your faith is in him, your identity is in him, are you set apart and setting yourself apart? Are you practicing being different? And I don't mean in the weird way, right? Christians can be really good at being weird and not being different spiritually. We don't want to be weird. We want to be different and trust in God. And then finally, some of us are really struggling with Resting in the grace and peace of our loving Father today. So I want to encourage you. Are you resting in that? Or are you resting in something else? Are you resting in your bank account? and your plans for this week? and your five year trajectory? What are you trusting in? Where are you resting? Where are you finding your peace? Where are you looking for it? Because i got to tell you, the only place you're going to find genuine peace is in the loving embrace of your Heavenly Father. Once you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, realizing you're a saint redefining your identity, and then submitting fully to Him. As we pray, I invite the worship team to come up and prepare to close us out with our last song of the day. Let's pray. Holy Father God, we thank You that You loved us so much that You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ. Today, may more and more of us in ever-increasing ways be found as saints in Him. We pray this morning, if someone doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That you would convict their heart, you would give them understanding, that they would understand their need for someone else to pay the price for their sin and rebellion. Someone else to be king and ruler in their life. And that they would choose Jesus. For those of us who've already made that profession of faith, we've chosen Jesus as our Christ, our Savior, our Lord. We've been moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. Today, I pray, we pray that we would look more like Him in ever-increasing measure, that our identity would be wrapped up in Him, that we would stop defining ourselves as, as other things and instead define ourselves as children of God through Christ Jesus. Saints. Beginning to Set ourselves apart to shun sin, to look different, to be different, but then also to rest in the grace and peace that comes only from you, our Father. We are so thankful for your word and how it it shows us the hope that can be ours through your Son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, that you gave up the rights and privileges of heaven, that you walked a perfect, sinless life and died on the cross that in dying on the cross, you paid the price for our sins. You took our punishment. You suffered our judgment. We're so thankful for that. And we believe that in your death, we are renewed. And in your life again, that there's proof it's all true. And that it applies to us. And so we thank you for all that you've Holy Spirit, continue to convict us, to guide us, and to shape us. Work in our midst. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen. If you've got questions or you need to talk to someone about any of the things I've talked about or or brought up today, please don't hesitate to find me out or one of the elders or just somebody who looks smart. And ask them. And then if they can't answer, then maybe the two of you come together and and ask somebody else. and eventually we'll find somebody who can help us understand the question of the day. But well, let's stand together and close our service in song.
1: mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea.
0: And sisters, grace to you, and peace from God our Father. May you have a blessed week as you walk, talk, and live in Christ. I encourage many of you, or all of everybody who's gonna be working with kids, join in for lunch downstairs in the training. Others of you will see it throughout the week at small groups and stuff. We've got Sunday Bible school next Sunday morning, and of course, we continue Kingdom of the Sun next Sunday at 1045. God bless you guys.